Hey guys, I'm back again with another episode and I still haven't figured out how to bring my little flute music introduction thing um, in the beginning, but I don't know, maybe it works better without one. Let me know in the comments or over on Instagram. Um, but today's episode is inspired by the last one and this is... Um, on playing the part of the saviour. I almost forgot for a second then. Um, <laughs> so this, this episode is all about playing the part of the saviour. So in the last episode, we explored how we can sometimes, if it's in our patterns um, or in our behavioural patterns, etc., to search for a saviour in difficult times. This episode is more how we might also play the saviour, play the rescuer, um, that archetype. So they are two different things. One is searching for the savior. This is being the savior, wanting to play part of um, the part of the savior. I think I've mentioned that now probably 20 times in the last 20 seconds. So <laughs> I'm sure you get what I mean. And I have also had um, and can also sometimes slip into this archetype. So it's really interesting to see how we can sometimes be both and sometimes we can be the person that is searching for a savior. And then sometimes we are the person that is playing the part of a savior. And there's a reason why they are usually linked, in my experience. And uh, quite simply, it's because when we are needing that saving from ourselves, but we're looking for that savior outside of ourselves we then also end up playing saviour to others because we know that is what we need. And so we often give to others what we actually need for ourselves. I'll say that again <laughs> with a little bit more time to land. So when we are looking for somebody to save us, we can sometimes also play the archetype of saving, trying to save others. Because it is really us that needs saving. So we often give to others what we really need for ourselves. I don't know if that makes sense, but... So how can we, in these situations or in the situation of playing saviour, and so what that might look like for a lot of people is, you know, finding someone, maybe it's not someone who already exists in our lives, but someone comes along in our lives, or it's someone in our lives, and we can't have this sort of urge to want to help them, to fix them, to change them, and then we get really frustrated when they don't. <laughs> And we do it in romantic relationships and we do it in family and we do it with friends. And it's like, I'm here for you. And we kind of, you know, we're that ever giving presence of I'm here and like on the other end of the phone for hours and hours. And, you know, they, they call and they're having a crisis and we drive to them within seconds. And we're that friend or that family member that is always there 
or, you know, always finding ourselves in relationships where, you know, the person may have, you know, a lot of wounding that's not being actively worked on themselves or trauma that, you know, hasn't been seen to themselves or um, addiction or destructive behaviors that that person is maybe not even aware of themselves, but we come in and we come in with this intention, conscious or, or unconscious, to save or fix or change or help and you know sometimes we tell ourselves it's just because I'm an empath and I care and I'm human and you know or I'm a psychologist or maybe we're in the the work of healing some somehow maybe you know we're in the healing arts and you know we feel like it is our duty to be of service by fixing changing helping someone but really we when we look at where that kind of urge is coming from, we can recognize that actually that's coming from a very wounded place within ourselves. So we have this urge to fix, change, heal. And it's in the, in the, in the realms of wellness or in the realms of the healing arts. There's a term called the wounded healer. So where our, our boundaries become blurred with our patients and we overgive ourselves to try and desperately help this other person and that leaves us feeling very depleted burnt out frustrated why isn't anything changing why is what i'm saying not landing you know more into the other person's psyche or or mind or body and what you know we get annoyed we get so annoyed and that triggers us maybe into other reactions. Without knowing it, our boundaries are being crossed because we're allowing them to be. And so where does that frustration come from, really? Is it because our boundaries are constantly being crossed? Healthy boundaries. Is it because we haven't learned how to implement healthy boundaries that them constantly being crossed leaves us in frustration. Why does this always happen? Maybe the question. And so what I want to explore today is how we can actually be of service to others. How we can really healthily be there for one another, whether that's friends or family members or clients Obviously, there is going to be a bit of a difference between clients and family and friends because there are slightly different boundaries. We'll have professional boundaries in place with clients. So how can we really be there for each other healthily? And more importantly which is the part that always makes me laugh, is does this person even want to be fixed or changed or helped or saved? And is that really helpful for them wherever they're at in their own journey or process? Because a lot of the time that leaves the other feeling frustrated too. And in a way almost invalidated because when a friend, a family or a loved one comes to us and they're experiencing a trigger to an old wound or 
a loss or are grieving and they come to us and they simply want to express how they feel because that is cathartic and that is part of healing, you know, being able to be heard in our cathartic expression, being able to be witnessed. But so often we don't practice listening to the person that is communicating or expressing themselves. So often it is in our agenda, especially if we have the archetype in us of rescuer or savior, to try to fix the other. We always want to make the other feel better. We always want to help. And that is part of being human. But how can we do this in a, in a way that is actually helpful? So this friend or this love, loved one or this lover comes to us and they're expressing their grief or they're expressing their loss. They're expressing their feelings. It may simply be, I feel really sad today. I feel really hurt today. Or, this is going on. And how can we really be of service in that moment? And one of the best ways is to simply acknowledge the other. So we can do that by saying, I hear you, I see you, I feel you. And rather than try to fix, which can sound like, at least you have this going on, or at least she did that too, or everything's going to be okay in the end, I promise. <laughs> or trust me in a few days time you'll be okay or everything's fine just be happy be grateful for what you have around you yes gratitude is important but now may not be the time where it is most helpful to what the person is trying to express look at the bright side you know, trying to force the other to see all the good when that's not how they're feeling in that, in that moment at all. And when we do that, we are basically saying, you're not allowed to feel the way that you feel right now. Because we keep trying to change the current situation. Maybe it's too painful for ourselves to bear and then we need to look at why. How do we hold ourselves and our emotions? Are we able to? Why do we get so frustrated? You know, how do we hold ourselves when we feel sadness, when we feel pain? And if we don't, does that make it difficult for us to hold someone else's pain? Absolutely. And so we just want to try the same way we would do it to ourselves. We would invalidate ourselves from feeling a certain way by saying, oh, but, you know, people have worse problems in the world or, you know, tomorrow's a new day or things are going to get better or, you know, we invalidate ourselves. So much of the time where we we don't acknowledge how we're feeling. And we tell ourselves to get on with it and get over it. Even though deep down that little child in us is screaming out for acknowledgement, is screaming out for attention, is screaming out for 
ourselves to be heard and we're not practicing hearing ourselves. So naturally that leaves very little room to really practice listening to another and knowing how to really deeply listen without the need to advise, without the need to judge, without the need to make sense of, without the need to have opinion, but to truly listen with acknowledgement and empathy. So rather than trying to fix we can say, I hear you and I feel you. That must be really, really hard. Well, that sounds so painful. I'm so sorry you're going through this right now. I can't even imagine. I'm here for you. Whatever it is you need to feel, let yourself feel it. Nothing is wrong, nothing is bad. Sometimes the simple acknowledgement, if somebody's going through a really drastic grief, the simple of acknowledgement of you may never feel okay. And you're going to go through days perhaps where you feel like total utter shit. And some days may feel more manageable. And that's okay. So we're not trying to rush anybody's process because nothing is a process. Nothing is there to be fixed. We are human beings with feelings and they can, you know, life is not linear. Nothing happens. There is no constant. The only thing that's constant is the cyclical waves of our emotions. And sometimes we can ride through 5, 10, 20 emotions in one day. One moment we feel sad and then we feel happy. And then we feel joy. And our emotions are simply messengers. They tell us where we're at in this exact moment. To honor them, to acknowledge them. Is to acknowledge ourselves. And in this way, we meet ourselves with a great compassion for whatever it is that does arise in our emotions. And we allow ourselves to move into becoming love. Not only when we're happy, but love in our pain, love in our sorrow, love in our sadness, love in our anger. And that is true love. That is true self-acceptance. So I find it really interesting and I invite anyone who is willing to kind of do the exercise of just to simply notice how we may be in a position where we have this urge to play savior for someone else. And what is it really saying about us? Are we always attracted to the person that needs rescuing? Therefore, is it really us that needs saving or rescuing? Are we frustrated when we feel like 
this person that we love, that we keep on trying to help, is never changing. What is it that we need from that person? Or what is that person reflecting to us that is reflecting a deeper childhood wound of something that we couldn't change when we were younger? I'm going to give you an example of that because that might be a little bit head trippy. But for instance, I had a, uh, so my, my mother wound, which was um, my biggest kind of acknowledged wound um, when I was going through therapy initially, was that, you know, there were certain traits in my mother that I really needed, that any child needs from their mother, the nurturing aspect, the attention, the affection, all the five A's, the allowance, the acceptance, um, that I needed from my mother that I that I didn't that weren't met as a child. And the attention, you know, not having my mother around so much, um, the sort of spontaneity of being there one moment and then not being there, which I kind of attached to irresponsibility and instability and this unsafety, this, you know, not feeling safe, a lot of these things, a lot of these traits were really wounding. And so a lot of, so for the first eight years of my therapy, I was working a lot on the mother wound. And before I started therapy and then in the first um, few phases of it, I noticed that there was this pattern that I was attracting in my life in my romantic relationships. So I had partners that portrayed some of these patterns that I understood as being irresponsible, not being uh, emotionally or physically available, uh, having quite destructive behaviors, Uh, sometimes quite irrational, and all of these unconsciously reminded me of my mother. So they triggered me. I had no idea, but they triggered me into this need to want to change or fix the person, especially with the destructive behaviors, which was usually addiction. And I constantly wanted to save this person and that's you know it wasn't it wasn't clear to me that at the time that obviously there there was no saving that could be done but I remember the very first time I went into therapy and I'd kind of just had my first session of explaining my childhood and my upbringing etc and then in the second session um, I remember my therapist saying to me uh, you know when going kind of more deep into my relationship with my mother saying, your mother might never change. And I was devastated. I was so devastated. And I just thought, what? Because it had been my entire, what felt like my entire life and childhood that I'd been trying to change my mother to become the mother that I needed. The nurturing, present, available mama. And I just thought, no, what do you mean? She, she, she can't change. She won't change. She absolutely can change. I, I need her. 
And I kind of went into this panic and I just thought, no, 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 no. Like, this is not happening. What do you mean? She said to me, yeah, absolutely. You're going to have to learn perhaps how to give yourself what your mother couldn't give you. And then in came the kind of lessons on reparenting and becoming my own mother. And that's not easy because at the same time you're grieving not having this mother that you needed. So while you're grieving, you're also learning to take care of yourself. And so what I was doing unconsciously in relationship patterns was being attracted to these people that had these similar traits. And our romantic partners can have both the negative and the positive traits of our parents. And that's what makes them familiar. And that's what can create this attraction um, that, you know, kind of we get drawn typically in relationship to one another when they subconsciously or consciously remind us of our parents and they might possess either a dad or mum, maybe both, and either negative or positive traits. And in this way, they can trigger us into past or sorry, childhood wounds, earlier childhood wounds. And if we're unaware of our wounds and the other person is unaware of their wounds, we end up in this very unconscious state of a relationship where we are constantly triggering one another, constantly in reaction to one another, and neither of us doing the work to heal ourselves. And, you know, it ends up in a very toxic cycle and toxic behavioral patterns and very destructive. And then it ends. Or we pull an exit strategy and it's over. But when we are conscious of our patterns and we are conscious of our wounds and we are actively seeking the support we need to work through them and we're both doing this individually, it creates such a beautiful foundation for growth individually and together. We we really learn how to truly relate to one another while working through our wounds So it's not to say that we need to work through our wounds and be at this perfect enlightenment before we actually enter into a relationship. No, it means how can we commit to to ourselves while we're in relationship with each other in doing the work we need to do to learn how to healthily relate to each other in being love for ourselves first and then they're in love for each other. So I was very unconsciously finding myself attracted to these people that held these traits. And the more I the more I went through therapy, the less I was attracted to these people. And when I mean attracted, it was so strong that I would be and this is a true story in the middle of a of a bar. I'd walk into I remember I walked into this bar. And this is after my like really destructive last three long term boyfriends. And I walk into this bar and there's a, about a hundred people crowded in this bar and I walk in with my friends and the one person that I'm drawn to right at the end of the bar is who, who I go straight to talking to um, and flirting with is the heroin addict. And I just, in that moment, thankfully with therapy, I had the, the awareness that when I had started speaking to this person and straight away got into this conversation of how he had just come out of rehab and he was a struggling heroin addict, that I just kind of giggled to myself and I thought, out of every single person in the room, (laughs) how are you still, you know, drawn to the heavy addict? 
And I laughed and it just, it gave me that awareness of, okay, you know, you can be loving and you can be kind and you can be, have conversation. But just that awareness allowed me to realize what is this showing me about my pattern still? You know, what is it that I'm attracting? And am I here trying to, again, fix this person or save or rescue? And am I, you know, empathizing so deeply and so strongly and resonating and relating to so strongly? Because yes, of course, this person reminds me of, you know, has traits that remind me of my mother. And that pain I feel when I'm with them is that very same pain I feel when I'm with my mom. So it's like, oh, I, you know, I so understand you and I so want to help you because I couldn't help this situation when I was a kid. And so we try to change what we couldn't change in our childhood. We try to change in our adult lives with others. But what we need to remember is we can't really change the other person. Ever. But we can change the way we react. And through therapy and through healing work, I was able to start to really heal these deep mother wounds. And from that, my reactions started to dissipate around these specific traits that reminded me of my mom. And slowly but surely, I found myself uh, attracted to very different people that didn't harness these traits so much. And I mean, this was years, years on from, from starting therapy. And, you know, I, I had at one point attracted a really healthy, functional relationship, which was so unfamiliar to me. But I was like, ah, oh, this is a good sign. But unfortunately, it was so unfamiliar for me at this point in, in time, at that point in time in my life that I had sabotaged that enough to basically be like, I'm not worth this, again, unconsciously. Um, instead, in my mind, it was like, you're so annoying. And like, I tried to find everything wrong with this poor human being. And it was so, I ended up turning something functional into so, something so dysfunctional, because that was more my familiarity that it ended. And so again, this was a great reflection of, okay, where am I at in all of this? <clears throat> yes, healing. But I'm still finding it very difficult to accept what is familiar. Well, sorry, to accept what is unfamiliar. Because sometimes it's those unfamiliar things that we find really difficult to receive because we didn't grow up receiving them. So when we do have someone who comes along and is reliable and available and loving and, you know, has a functional family or, you know, we it's kind of like, huh, <laughs> where's the chaos? And if our wounds are still there and still quite activated and we feel even more scared that this person could potentially leave, if we have abandonment issues, we might be thinking unconsciously or consciously this person, you know, might just leave us one day. We might sabotage enough to force the person to abandon us if that's a pattern, if we have an abandonment wound. But slowly, surely over time, I would attract a different person. So I went from attracting my mom to then attracting my dad. And then you start to think, when the fuck is this ever going to end? Um, 
but it, it as I said, there is a there is a beautiful. It's not about as cheesy as it sounds. It's never about the destination. It's the whole part of the process that is beautiful because each and every moment, every day, um, holds something beautiful, even in its pain, even in its sorrow. Um, and sometimes it's not beautiful. Sometimes it's, you know, most times it's fucking ugly and it's painful and it's really fucking grueling. But when you're able to have a breakthrough in therapy, it's also really goddamn liberating. And it's like, I can breathe again. We literally learn to free ourselves from our, em our own emotional burdens or not burdens, our own emotional wounding. We free ourselves so we, we, we feel so much lighter and we start to create more room. We have more capacity for, for love, for real, actual, unconditional love for ourselves. That starts with our relationship with ourselves first. And then that naturally attracts, can attract that back. Not to say that any relationship is ever perfect, but again, it goes back to you know, when we're, when we're committed to ourselves and we're, when we're committed to, to doing the work within ourselves and we have the support systems around us, yes, we may, you know, still in the process, find ourselves in relationships, which are, you know, can be our greatest learning tools. We can find ourselves in relationship because there's so much we can learn on our own. There's only so much we can learn on our own. I find that, you know, we can be great on our own a lot more like it's a lot more easy to feel great on our own. And then we fall into relationship and bam, 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 bam. It's like the biggest test for all of the work that we've done. So really relationships are our greatest mirrors and they're the greatest ways we can learn with one another. Not just romantic relationships, but friendships, but a lot happens in romantic relationships because that's where we um, tend to carry a lot of our uh, wounds too in romantic relationships. So all this to say... <laughs> You know, what is it that we're really trying to change when we feel the urge to change another? What is it that we're really trying to, to do when we have the urge to fix another? What is it that it, we're actually needing when we're trying to play rescuer to another? What is it reflecting to, what is our reaction to the other person in their own trauma, in their own grief, and in their own loss, what is our reaction to them? And what is that showing us about ourselves? And how can we respond rather than react? So when we're in reaction, it's usually triggering something in us. When we have these urges to fix, change, heal, play the savior, what is that showing us about us? Is that actually helpful for the other person? And how can we be more helpful to the other person? We practice the art of sacred listening. We practice really learning what it means to hold one another in space, to witness one another the same way 
it is so beneficial for us to be witnessed. And if we've been in therapy before or in healing circles before where this is really honored, we understand what it feels like. You know, I remember it's what allowed me to start listening circles where I would gather women and men in my living room and we would, um, you know, in a structured way, but I'll just loosely tell you, you know, it would open up the space to um, to individually share, share our struggles, share our griefs, share our losses in a space where there is no judgment, no advice, no opinion. So it was a space that really allowed people to, to express themselves vulnerably and to grieve if they needed to grieve. And I started that in response to, you know, years into therapy after really realizing how <clears throat> I had battled so much anxiety and depression my entire life. And felt at such a loss in my own health, physically, mentally, emotionally, because I'd never been given the opportunity to really be seen or be heard or be witnessed without someone advising, without someone judging, without someone having an opinion. And finally, when I was with my therapist, I was given the space and the freedom to just simply be, to express myself fully in full vulnerability, to bear myself naked and say, this is, this is how I feel. And this is what has happened. To be able to express my rage, to be able to express my anger, to be able to express my fear, to be able to express my sadness, to cry without someone saying, oh no, don't cry. Everything's going to be okay, don't worry. You know, all these invalidating phrases that we say in an effort to try and help when we're actually not helping at all. We can be really helpful to one another if we simply allow the other to just express themselves and acknowledge them in their expression. I feel you, I see you, I hear you. And to empathize, that must be really hard. Sometimes when we are on the rescuing side and we are always there for a friend that needs us and we start to feel frustrated, it's like, why am I feeling frustrated? Okay, yes, so we go into the self-inquiry. What is this reflecting to me? Am I trying to change a situation, fix a situation? What is this person mirroring to me? Do they remind me of either my mother or my father um, or things that I felt found difficult or find difficult with my mother or father? Or is it simply that I'm allowing my own boundaries to be crossed constantly because this person I'm allowing this person to call me and emotionally dump all of their feelings onto me and I'm taking the time out of my day and I'm putting my work aside and I'm running for you in seconds and I'm doing everything for you but you still just keep doing the same thing again and again and again and again and again and I'm allowing you to so really again we're not being helpful to the other person because we're enabling them to continue on in their patterns by also not exercising our healthy boundaries and saying, I love you, I really want to hear you, but I'm actually with my mother right now, so I have to go because I, I need to be present with her. 
or I'm just in the middle of something for work and I really can't talk right now, but I can, you know, I've got 15 minutes where I can hear you out what's going on. And again, not to advise or not to judge or not to give opinion, but just to say I'm here for you. I'm so sorry that sounds so tough. Is there something you can do for yourself right now in this moment to nourish you, to nurture you, to make yourself feel good, to love you? Remember one of my best friends used to say this to me. I'd call her and I'd talk and, you know, it's always really, when we can become aware of ourselves, it's really nice to to also practice respecting other people's boundaries by saying, hey, do you have a moment to talk? I just really need to talk about something right now. And if my friend says, yeah, absolutely, I'll be like, thank you so much. If my friend's like, I'm just in the middle of something, I'll say, don't worry, um, that's okay. You know, whenever you're free or whenever you're available, if that's available, and then we would talk at another time. But that urgency sometimes can come when we don't, when, you know, when we don't have boundaries ourselves, it's very hard for us to respect other people's boundaries. So if someone says to us, I can't speak right now, they may, they may be in reaction. So if I'm saying I can't speak right now and someone else is reacting, that is unfortunately their, their responsibility. And they're reacting most likely because they're not familiar with, their, with having their own healthy boundaries. And then it may be triggering something like abandonment or etc. But we for ourselves to keep well we need to really look out look after ourselves too and if right now we don't have the genuine time or the energy to support someone we need to exercise those boundaries for ourselves because we can't be there for friends or loved ones around us when we are depleted and we are constantly overgiving and we are constantly rescue trying to rescue or save or help or heal So how can we, how can this be an opportunity for us to also practice healthy boundaries? If we start to notice we're becoming uh, frustrated and we feel depleted when we, you know, even though we want to be there for this person, we want to hear them out. We want to, you know, try and be there and help them. Is it really helpful to them if we keep answering the phone and by the end of it, we're just getting frustrated and we just kind of throw our, you know, opinions onto them and judge them <laughs> and try to advise them and get annoyed when they're not listening to what we're saying? Is that really helpful? No, it's not helpful to either. So either we're there with our full attention, energy and time where we are where we allow ourselves to really acknowledge the other and practice the art of sacred listening or we put a healthy boundary in and say, I'm just with my family at the moment, I can't talk. If it's okay, like, can I call you in, you know, a couple of hours? Or are you around later this evening? You know, and time limits are another, you know, great healthy boundary. And these don't, you know, these, these aren't ever placed with a harsh harshness, or again, with judgment, but, but a loving boundary is I love you, and I'm here for you. I'm just with my family at the moment. Are you free tomorrow? So we give, you know, the choice. 
or I'm going through some stuff of my own right now and I'm really not available emotionally or physically to be there for you. I'm so sorry. I'm also just going through a lot right now. Sometimes we don't have the emotional capacity and it's not something that we can pick up for the next day. Sometimes we might be going through something huge ourselves. There's a lot to kind of take in with these different dynamics and archetypes that come into play. But I think it's so important that we learn to, as much as it's so useful and helpful to have professionals at hand, um, you know, it's sometimes can be tricky to find good professionals, but it's, you know, it's great in this, you know, world today where, you know, mental health is becoming more of a recognized um, reality and we're becoming a lot more sensitive to, you know, the conversations around it and um, how we, you know, can find help or be of help um, and get professional advice or seek professional advice from psychologists or psychotherapists or anyone in some sort of, you know, healing realm. But I find that it's so important that we also learn to be this for each other because we learn in this way how to healthily relate. It's great to have the professional help, but how great would it be to also just have a world where we really understood what it means to lovingly relate with one another in healthy ways where we're able to really practice witnessing one another, holding space for one another. And we do this by practicing witnessing ourselves, holding space for ourselves, for our own wounds first, learning how to love our own selves first so that we can then love, hold and witness one another. So I'm going to leave you here and I want to mention on this topic, I am holding a uh, listening circle, the space, um, the event. So I've been holding listening circles for over six years now. Um, and I'm in London until the end of September before I make a more permanent move to Dubai. So I held a little circle with my dear friend Hannah, who specializes in grief. Um, a couple of weeks ago, which was really beautiful. And now I'm holding another one of my own on the 19th of September. So the tickets will go on sale soon. And you can find them on my website, www.nourishing.earth forward slash events. And the tickets will be £45. It's a three hour event where we sit together and it's changing. The name is changing from listening circle to your space to be exploring vulnerability so it's where we welcome all emotions and we welcome in the space for anyone who may be grieving for anyone experiencing any kind of loss and there'll be all the information up on the website but it's the 19th of september which is a sunday and it's from 3 30 until 6 30 p.m at the life center in notting hill so it's a very sweet cozy space and um yeah if you are interested in 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 both 
being in a space where you are able to uh, express yourself and express your vulnerability and be in a space where it is safe for you to express yourself and to feel what it feels like to be truly heard and witnessed um, and how to witness and hear others, then this is exactly that. So if you have any more uh, questions or anything that you need uh, to know, you can feel free to get in touch with me also via email um, lana.almola at gmail.com um, or contact me through my website or on uh, Instagram over at Luna Oniari, L-U-N-A-R-O-N-I-Y-A-R-I. And I look forward as always to connecting with all of you and I'm sending you all lots and lots of love.